On this two-part episode of Serverless Chats, I speak with Ori Sagel about serverless application security. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 23. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and you're listening to Serverless Chats. This week, I'm chatting with Ori Sagel. Hi, Ori. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. So you are a senior distinguished research engineer at Palo Alto Networks. So why don't you tell the listeners a bit about your background and what you're doing at Palo Alto Networks? Uh, sure. Uh, first of all, congratulations for managing to uh, actually say it. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a mouthful. <laughs> um, so yeah, I um, actually I got this title after PureSec, the company that I co-founded and was the CTO of, um, got acquired uh, in June of 2018 by Palo Alto Networks. Uh, so as I said, I used to be the CTO and co-founder of PureSec, a small vendor, actually the first vendor to offer a serverless security platform. Um, and uh, my current role at Palo Alto is mainly to uh, oversee the research of the security algorithms and uh, the product features for serverless security uh, within the Prisma uh, brand, which is the cloud security brand uh, in Palo Alto. Awesome. All right. So I want to talk to you about what you've been working on for, I don't know how many years now it seems like, um, but serverless application security. Uh, and I want to start by sort of discussing what's different about, you know, sort of traditional security and why serverless security is a bit different. First of all, I think uh, it's important to get uh, some some background. I've been doing application security for, I guess, over 20 years, since the end of the 90s, uh, starting with Sanctum, which was the the world's, uh, the, the, the first company that uh, that. Uh, built uh, the world's first web application firewall and later on uh, AppScan, which was the first DAST uh, scanner, which was later uh, acquired by IBM. Um, and after after doing that for a while, I worked uh, at Akamai for about five years, leading the threat research for the uh, Kona Cloud Security product. And at some point, somebody approached me and started talking to me about serverless security. Uh, um, I can already tell you that was one of the other co-founders. Uh, and the story um, or the technology um, behind serverless sounded very interesting, uh, you know, both from an innovative uh, uh, aspect, but also from security. Um, everything I knew about application security uh, seemed, at least from a protections uh, perspective, seemed to be sort of irrelevant or, or, or not exactly fit uh, the serverless model. Uh, so obviously, you know, and we'll talk about that later, you still need to do input validation, uh, business logic enforcement, and all of those things. But the form factor uh, and the way you deploy serverless applications uh, made it very challenging to the point that uh, it sort of you know, it was mind boggling uh, and interested me uh, very much. And I started thinking about, okay, how, how can we apply uh, runtime protection uh, to serverless applications? And that, I guess, got me interested. And eventually I, I left Akamai to uh, um, uh, join PureSec. Um, so, and, and back to your, your question. Um, Serverless security, uh, we should actually refer to it as serverless application security, is indeed application security, uh, the same old application security that uh, we know and some of us love, 
uh, from other places like mobile and web apps. Uh, so, you know, input validation and configuring the, uh, the platform and the hardening and all of those things. But uh, it has some twists, some very interesting twists uh, that you definitely have to keep in mind when you're building those applications. Uh, it's, it's a different way of performing threat modeling and different uh, methods of uh, input validation that you need to think about, you know, where inputs are coming from. Uh, obviously, configuring the platform is very different. We're talking about cloud native environments, usually public cloud. Um, and, and again, we'll get back to that uh, a bit later. Um, so that twist is what I think makes it uh, more interesting and obviously uh, more challenging. Um, that's, you know, <laughs> high level overview. So, so let's get into a little bit more of the details there. So I, I think one of the things that changes quite dramatically, and, and I know you've written about this, um, is that shared responsibility model that the, uh, that the cloud um, you know, sort of gives us, right? So what, what's, what changes with that shared responsibility model? That's actually one of the topics that I really love uh, talking and, I don't know, even you know, just discussing this offline, not always uh, in, in conferences, because this is something that I usually bring up when I talk about serverless security. Um, so in every public cloud uh, scenario, uh, the, you know, there's a shared responsibility model between you know, the customer and, and, or you know, the, the, the app owner and the cloud provider. Uh, and there's a line at some point, and really that line or where the line is, draw, uh, is drawn uh, really depends on the type of cloud model uh, or public cloud model that you're using. Um, and, you know, so we start, if we think about infrastructure as a service, then the cloud provider is responsible for the physical infrastructure. Uh, but any, anything above that is your responsibility. So the VM, uh, the, the host, uh, the, the hardening of the operating system uh, and, and the users and, and everything, that's the responsibility of the cloud provider. Uh, and in serverless, that line reaches new heights, uh, which is something very interesting. Uh, because for the first time, you're really not responsible for the majority of uh, security requirements or um, um, demands. Uh, if you look at uh, you know PCI compliance requirements, um, and you compare, and I have an article about that as well, uh, between infrastructure as a service and functions or, or serverless, uh, you see that your role is reduced or your responsibility is reduced for uh, to even less than half. Uh, which brings me to the next point that, theoretically speaking, uh, serverless applications actually um, are a terrific enabler for application security. It takes away a lot of the things that we usually miss uh, or we usually screw. Uh, so patching that we all know is, is um, you know, is a very tedious uh, uh, task that you have to constantly uh, be on top of. Um, so in serverless, your starting point from a security perspective is, is actually much better off. Uh, somebody else is responsible for almost everything except for the application itself, which is, uh, I think, sort of the future of uh, what I, I was hoping for application security to see all those patching and OS updates and uh, physical infrastructure taken uh, care of by somebody else and leaving you to, to deal with the things you actually understand about, which is your core business and the business logic that you own. Right. I recently heard uh, a very cool analogy about serverless. Uh, somebody was comparing it to, you know, like um, uh, transportation or automobile industry where 
when you own servers, it's basically like you own your own car. Uh, and then infrastructure as a service is more like, you know, you rent or you lease a car. And then serverless is more like Uber, where right. you just you drive the car when you need it or you don't drive. Actually, somebody somebody drives you to where you need to go. Uh, and that's your only responsibility, basically. Uh, and from a security perspective, that's I think that's brilliant. Uh, if you think about that, uh, do application security and leave the rest to somebody else. You just use the use the infrastructure and then dump it, uh, which is very cool. It's that uh, also. But, it's the it's the pet versus cattle um, yeah. analogy as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that, that that's, a, that's a, a super important point, right? This idea of you having to worry less about the security, getting all of this sort of perimeter security um, out of the box, obviously, with the cloud providers, which, which gives you a greater, um, you know, sort of a greater security posture um, right off the bat, which is, which is awesome. But, but then you can go even further, right? Because you can take IAM roles and you can assign those uh, to individual functions, which gives you this really, really fine-grained security. Yeah, um, and I think the IAM topic, um, which used to be mostly relevant for AWS, by the way, until uh, recently, but other cloud providers are now uh, sort of closing the gaps there, uh, is a very interesting topic uh, because for the first time, as you mentioned, you can get very granular with um, access controls um, to the point where and really, and that's that's almost unheard of in the world of serverful, or I don't know how you want to call those uh, traditional applications, where you can dictate that a specific function can only do a very specific um, action on, let's say, a database table. Uh, so think about allowing a function to only read. Um, and you could never do that. And you can see that when, when somebody used to um, sort of hack into a system and take over... Uh, an application, it would, it was usually it would end. Uh, it's sort of a game over, like a remote right. code execution or SQL injection. That's pretty much game over because you can um, elevate privileges very quickly and uh, do lateral movement uh, inside the network. In serverless, if you do IAM uh, uh, like identity and access um, uh, controls properly. Uh, you can get to a point that somebody completely uh, exploits a, a, a single function, uh, but uh, is left unable to do pretty much anything other than what that function is allowed to do. So think about a function that, uh, let's say, registered somebody's uh, user. It's like a user creation uh, function. Uh, the only thing that uh, attacker will be able to do is create users, which is Okay, it's not good, but it's not uh, the worst case that you can uh, think of. Right. Uh, that wasn't the case. If you had a SQL injection or some kind of injection uh, in an app, you would probably you know dump the entire database in seconds. Uh, and, and that's something that if you do IAM properly, uh, you are reducing the blast radius. Uh, and that could be, by by the way, very frustrating for from an attacker perspective. Um, I know that, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure you remember the article about um, uh, Lambda Shell. And if not, uh, sure. go check it out. Uh, so for an from an attacker perspective, that could actually be uh, the thing that will uh, block any kind of lateral movement uh, further on. So 
again, uh, kudos to whoever thought about that very, very granular IAM model and, and using that obviously in, in, in cloud native environments. Yeah, because I, I think you make a, an awesome point about that where in sort of the traditional serverful application or, you know, you've got some, uh, you know, applications spread across servers that that the entire code base basically has access to your entire database, right? So dropping tables or deleting rows, um, and not that you just can issue a standard, you know, delete, um, you know, delete, um, uh, you know, delete or drop table or something like that in in a DynamoDB environment, but um, but the fact that that you can just say, look, you can create as many users as you want to, but you can't access the table, you can't, you know, select uh, records from that table, and and if you really want to get fine grained with uh, SQL as well in in serverless, and I think not enough people take advantage of this. But uh, you know, if you have Lambda calling SQL, uh, you can create separate users that have limited access as well. So Lambda A has access to maybe the the write role, and Lambda B has access to the read role. Um, you know, and then Lambda C has access to just delete. Um, you know, so there's there are certainly ways that you can add that granularity, even if it goes somewhat beyond just the IAM configurations as well. So. Um, very cool stuff. Yeah, it's it's. Um, if I take, you know, I'll give you like a real world example of the exact opposite. So my wife, my wife runs a blog. Uh, it's running on WordPress uh, deployment that she has somewhere uh, in some hosting uh, uh, service provider. And I don't know, she's using some kind of WordPress plugin, which is obviously vulnerable. And every, I don't know, uh, month or two, we have to completely uh, destroy the entire installation and install everything from scratch because somebody manages to find some kind of vulnerability inside uh, that plugin specifically, which was written very uh, poorly and take over the entire infrastructure. I'm not talking about the WordPress installation, but also, you know, the uh, the OS. Uh, they're destroying everything, destroying files, rewriting uh, uh, database tables, and all of that because of a, a plugin. Uh, so, you know, if that plugin had the minimal um, um, permissions, it, it actually needs to run, which would probably be nothing. Uh, there's no way that would happen. So so I think that the, the new IAM model uh, is a... Is a blessing yeah and 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 we'll talk about insecure third-party uh modules or dependencies <laughs> in a minute but before we move on to that though just quickly maybe what are some of the security practices that i mean you've been doing for the last 20 plus years um you know what are some of those security practices that you know sort of we're missing the tools for in serverless now yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, where do we where where do we begin? Um, let's start with the simplest one: uh, static analysis. I, I I've yet to see uh, an adequate static analysis solution that can um, uh, can handle serverless applications. Uh, there's just so much uh, complexity in serverless applications. There's a lot of logic that's not inside your code. There's a lot of logic that spreads uh, across functions. There is a lot of glue uh, between functions that's, uh, uh, you know, being... Um, well, when people use cloud services uh, like queues, you know, message queues and kinesis and things like that, uh, where simply, you know, statically scanning the code of the functions and, and maybe even the configuration is 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 not going to help you. Uh, it's going to be impossible to actually locate 
um, uh, some data flow related uh, issues um, and like injection attacks and things like that. Um, so static analysis is extremely limited today. Uh, the, uh, these vendors are going to have to uh, uh, do a lot of research and uh, uh, improve the technology to support, um, I guess, cloud native environments. Uh, so that's one. It's not. I'm not saying that they're completely useless. Uh, so if you have vulnerabilities inside a specific function, then obviously that uh, you know, if if they support uh, that runtime language, that should be okay. But uh, more complex vulnerabilities, uh, they're just not going to find. Uh, dynamic analysis tools again uh, if it's a web-based uh, application and serverless is just the back end uh, then you might uh, get lucky and you'll be able to instrument the apis and then uh, fuzz and, and send attacks i'm not sure regarding the automated validation so you don't always get a response directly it could be something like uh, asynchronous where you send an api or some some data and then it shows up somewhere entirely different, not in the HTTP response. And so uh, being able to validate that the injection uh, su uh, succeeded uh, is going to be a problem. And obviously IAST, which is I think interactive or integrated application security testing, which is sort of, uh, you know, you deploy an agent and then you run DAST and then the agent hooks into the different uh, sinks inside the application. Uh, I haven't seen anything uh, um, being offered yet by any vendors. So testing, security testing is a big, uh, currently big drawback or automated security testing, I should say, um, regardless if it's dynamic or static. Um, with regards to protection, um, I think I mentioned that in one of the, um, I might have uh, not blogged about it because it was after the acquisition already, um, but if you look at the range of inputs uh, that serverless applications consume, and I'm basing uh, this on, I think, Chris Munz's um, uh, slide from a while ago or a tweet about a slide, uh, then web uh, triggers or API gateway is just some percentage, I think less than 20%. I have the numbers somewhere. Don't uh, I, I don't want to say the exact number, but not a lot of the triggers going to Lambda functions are actually coming from API Gateway, right. which means that applying WAF, uh, even if it's a cloud WAF, uh, it's not very efficient from a coverage perspective. You have a lot of functions triggering from asynchronous uh, events, from message queues, from S3 buckets. Uh, where would you place a web application firewall there? Uh, and even if you did, uh, you know, we're talking about non-web traffic so eventually it is restful api calls uh but it's not the the classic standard http message parsing that wafs are used to so um wafs were irrelevant for serverless uh or for large chunks of serverless applications which is by the way one of the reasons why we came up with the serverless security platform uh in puresec uh, given that that's not you know uh, giving you a lot of coverage um what else uh, so host-based uh solutions and network-based solutions like ips ids host-based intrusion detection uh endpoint uh, protection solutions uh even you know outbound traffic inspection like web security gateways that can help you to avoid uh server-side uh, request forgery and uh, uh remote file inclusion attacks and things like that 
again, not relevant. Uh, there's no place for you to deploy them, um, which is a problem. All right. Well, I'm glad I asked that question. Um, <laughs> so, so I think actually mentioning the things that you mentioned brings up a really, really good point. And, uh, and I've, I've spoken about this before, and, and I've even been um, criticized in some way uh, in the past for, uh, for this idea of FUD, right? This fear, uncertainty, and doubt, when, especially when it comes to serverless security. Um, and I have always been a uh, practitioner of good security policies, or at least I like to think I, I have been. And I, uh, and I try to be, you know, sort of hyper vigilant. And maybe I'm a little paranoid, but I, I ran a web development company that hosted servers and things like that. And so uh, I have a lot of scars to prove why some of these things um, are more important or, or need to be worried about. Um, and so I want to talk about the um, the CSA top 12 um, that you sort of spearheaded um, and, and did quite a bit of work with. Um, and this is this list of the most critical serverless uh, or the most critical risks for serverless applications. Um, it was inspired by the OWASP top 10. A lot of similarities there, although because serverless goes well beyond just web um, you know, web application security, there's a, there's a lot more happening behind the scenes. So this is a little bit of a broader list. Um, and so I, I know there's been criticism, again, because I've gotten some of it, um, that this is sort of maybe, uh, this is instilling a lot of fear saying, oh, now here are all these other things you have to worry about. And, and you know, serverless isn't secure. And, and I don't know how many times I've said this, and I know you said it, serverless right out of the box is more secure probably than any other, um, you know, than any other uh, programming paradigm or, or application paradigm that exists. Um, so maybe just give your thoughts on that about why this list is important. And, and I know we've seen a lot of things with misconfigurations lately um, causing lots of problems, but, but why, is, why is this list so important to you or important to everybody? Um, well, you brought the topic of FUD, and I think it's worth spending maybe two minutes uh, on that and my views of it. So I think FUD is not necessarily something negative. Um, it is used in a negative context, uh, especially when people want to call out FUD uh, in a very uh, critical way. Um, however, well, there are two types of FUD. Uh, the negative one, which I think is the one that people are usually referring to, is the vendor uh, FUD, uh, where you scare people uh, that the end of the world is coming and you have to buy my product or else you're doomed. That's, I agree, uh, not the best approach for uh, marketing, for security marketing. However, most security vendors, by the way, uh, take that approach. And for the reason why I think FUD uh, actually has some positive um, aspects to it. Um, to convince developers and um, stakeholders that they need to take security seriously, um, the toolbox uh, that you have in your disposal is not uh, very rich, <laughs> I guess. Um, you know, it can say, I don't know, maybe people won't see you as a good developer or you're a lousy product manager uh, or things like that. Or you can threat, threat them that um, uh, there's uh, um, a liability issue here. And if somebody will find a vulnerability and will exploit that, uh, it's pretty much it pretty much means that they will lose their job and the company is going to suffer, um, you know, uh, some uh, the consequences. Um, so 
I think that telling or explaining uh, what is the worst case outcome uh, of a security issue uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. So yes, uh, sometimes fear, uh, I'm not sure about uncertainty and doubt, but uh, <laughs> instilling fear in people that uh, they need to think about security and it's critical and not because, uh, you know, I can't even find positive things to say of why you need security. You need security because, you know, you need security. Yeah, because people will hack and exploit and steal and exfiltrate your data and you need to worry about that. It's a risk. Uh, you need to fear the risk. Um, so, so I think it's not all negative. Now, um, back to the, and by the way, that this might be a scoop that a security person is actually admitting that uh, FUD is not necessarily <laughs> bad uh, and I'm accepting uh, the fact that I'm some, sometimes spreading fear. I think... Uh, especially in presentations, when you give talks in conferences, uh, showing, you know, sexy um, attacks and spreading some fear uh, generates more interest than when you speak uh, in a very monotonous way and talk about, I don't know, the fact that uh, you need to apply, I don't know, uh, good IAM, uh, strict IAM permissions. Uh, if you don't give the, the, the scary examples, People don't go away with anything, right? Uh, so, yeah. so th there is a you know dramatis, uh, you know using drama is is always uh, I think uh, good in this case. Um, you have to make sure you don't overdo it, uh, of course. And and that actually takes me to the top ten and later on the top twelve uh, that we published. Um, you have to keep in mind that uh, without the top twelve. Um, documents um, around, um, developers and architects wouldn't have any materials about serverless security uh, to learn from. Uh, and this document talks about potential risks uh, that we sort of prioritized based on what we've seen with customers uh, and prospects. Uh, and, uh, you know, we collected the data from uh, other evangelists and industry experts. Uh, and, and, and prior to this uh, to this effort specifically, if you take a look back uh, two, two and a half years ago, uh, before the original top 10 came out, the majority of materials, if you looked for serverless security, dealt with IAM permissions mm -hmm. and third-party library vulnerabilities. Uh, and there's a, a reason why that was the case, because uh, either the cloud providers, that's what uh, they allowed you to control, or the other vendors had, uh, you know, um, like legacy security vendors had to offer. Uh, but nobody touched about the actual risks uh, that we're going to cover in a second. Um, and and so I think uh, at the end of the day, this document uh, provides architects and developers with a good uh starting uh point uh a good you know reading material that they can rely on and turn to uh to understand what they need to worry about um it's in no way very dramatic uh it goes it goes it goes through the list it offers you the the right remediation depending on the cloud provider uh it, it shows examples i don't think in any point in the document there's anything scary or fud like uh, in in that negative sense um, now there were some uh, some people that um, mentioned that uh, you know the majority of the document deals with security of of functions. Uh, I think uh, that 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 the document exclusively looks at 
what you can do to secure functions and sort of neglecting other aspects of the cloud native environments in which those functions run. And, and that's, I think, uh, uh, simply incorrect. If you look at the list itself, uh, uh, it talks about authentication issues and cloud configurations and permissions and monitoring and how to handle secrets, application secrets, and you know to prune obsolete resources and things like that. That's a lot more than just uh, you know the security of the functions. Uh, truth be told, uh, there is an emphasis on functions, but if you think about it in serverless uh, uh, today, serverless at least. Uh, the point or the location in which a developer can actually control input and control business logic is the function. It's where your custom code, uh, your custom code lives. And so I think it's almost uh, trivial to to say that in serverless, at least in serverless that's functions oriented or centric, application security is going to be probably mostly or some of it will be applied inside the functions and so i think it's not entirely uh wrong to pay attention to functions in the future where i don't know serverless platforms will uh not um, necessarily mandate you uh, to write functions uh, like codeless or i don't know whatever you know you, you take some pieces like lego pieces and you and you glue them together even today if you have an application that all, only uses api gateway and then i don't know goes from there to some s3 bucket or some some queue and, and there's no function logic then obviously the the only type of uh, sec application security we'll be able to do is configuration um based yeah. um yeah. Yeah. No. So, and I and I totally I, I totally agree with you. And and I think that um, you know there are criticisms uh, of some of these uh, of some of these things. Uh, you know, one of them is well, this is just a lot of this is just plain application security. Well, good, right? Like that's a good thing. Like I, um, you, you should know that. I mean, the the first one we're going to talk about is is you know basically based around SQL injection or this idea of function injection, and and that's one of the things I wrote a post about this where you can upload an S3 key that has SQL in it, right? And so if you aren't practicing good, uh, you know, good uh, stripping out things or using are uh, using the right way to 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 um, you know to parameterize your your SQL. Um, if you're using that inside a function that processes that that has no WAF in front of it or whatever, um, these are just good security practices. So um, I, I certainly agree with you that um, you know that 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 application security is really at the root of most of what this uh, most of what this does. Uh, I also think there's a lot of overlap with what this points out versus what um, maybe also applies to other types of microservice architectures or event-driven architectures, um, certainly. But that, but that's not the point, right? The point of this document is to take sort of these top 12 things that when you're, um, you know, when you're writing a serverless application, whether some of it spills over into configuration, some of it is more traditional application security, some of it's just good practices, uh, you know, and maybe not specific to serverless. I do really, I do really like this document because it is a way you can put in front of a developer and just say, "Hey, <clears throat> be aware of these things because um, you know they can cause problems down the road." But I don't know, that's that's my opinion. So I, I you know, I certainly, I certainly uh, agree with you on that. There's an, another comment I think and that's important in this uh, phase of the life cycle of this document is is the question of uh, you know the how much is this practical versus how much of this is theoretical because yeah. at the end of the day we haven't seen a lot of attacks uh, and a lot of vulnerabilities in that sense so but how, I, but how would you how would you see those attacks 
Exactly. And and actually, I'll get back to that point in a second. But you have to remember that uh, since the early, I don't know, the dawn of, uh, of this internet uh, age, uh, security researchers uh, usually uh, dealt with theoretical uh, issues. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, some of the things that I, I was a part of uh, uh, the effort to discover them, uh, things like uh, HTTP response splitting and SQL injection mm -hmm. and XPath injection and LDAP injection, cross-site scripting. When when we published those uh, advisories, you know, 20 years ago, nobody was exploiting them. It was... Uh, entirely theoretical uh you could say we are to blame that people later on <laughs> you made people, you made on people aware of it that was the problem <laughs> exactly but but you have to remember that uh, as security practitioners and and specifically as researchers we are trying to um flag potential future risks if we were to only look at what's being used and exploited today, we will always be in a dog chase with attackers. So I think it's it's very good that security uh, experts and security researchers look for the next attacks in a new technology uh, and finding it before it's being exploited. And so you can then teach developers how to avoid these and uh, hopefully uh, reduce the attack surface. Uh, so I think it's not necessarily bad that we are pointing out things that haven't been exploited yet. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, regarding the evidence, um, usually attackers, you know, there are there aren't fo web forums where attackers share war stories of how they hacked into a system. Uh, so obviously, uh, attackers don't uh, publish anything about uh, their techniques, uh, and especially if you talk to application owners and, and companies, most of them also don't like to share information. In fact, usually when I give the serverless security conference talk, at the end, there's that five minutes that you keep, uh, you, you, you save for questions. Usually I know that nobody's going to uh, actually ask a serious technical question because they are embarrassed. It's like something that you don't want to talk about uh, around right. other people from maybe competing uh, uh, organizations. So uh, it's not, uh, there's no resource to go and look at and see how people are uh, exploiting and what are the vulnerabilities. Uh, we collected the information from customers and prospects. You know, I've reviewed um, dozens, if not hundreds of serverless apps at this point. Uh, and we collected this information uh, to see what are the, the most re repeated uh, risks that people uh, do. Now, and I, and I think the, the proactive versus reactive approach is is exactly what security people should be doing. Um, because again, it, it, it's no fun to go and clean up um, you know, security breaches. It's much easier to, uh, to stop them um, right away. So anyways, all right, so let's get into this top 12 list. Um, there is an entire document on this, and I will put the link to it in the show notes because it is certainly something people should go uh, and download and take a look at. But just for the benefit of people listening, uh, why don't we go through these and then just give me sort of a quick minute or so on each one and uh, just to kind of make people aware of them. And um, and then, like I said, definitely dive into these um, you know, in, in more detail. So uh, the first one is this idea of function event data injection. What's that all about? So here's a here's one that's interesting actually when people ask about what's the difference between serverless and and I don't know maybe web apps uh, in web applications that used to be called uh, originally historically parameter tampering I think it, uh, later on it was just called injection attacks um, and that's simply when uh, a malicious actor or a user can control 
some of the data fields that your application uh, relies on uh, and manipulate um, those fields to inject some kind of uh, attack uh, payload. Uh, so think about you know SQL injection, cross-subscripting, path traversals, command injection. All of those injection-based attacks um, are that that function event data injection basically encompasses them. Uh, the main difference here is uh, I guess I guess the the rich set of events that you can consume uh, in in a serverless function, and um, and that's the main difference. Uh, again, if you Talk to a web developer, an API, uh, you know, uh, developer. Uh, they know which fields they need to uh, rigorously inspect. Uh, they know about parameters, body, and you know, and uh, query. Uh, they know about headers and cookies. Um, um, maybe the pathing for part of the URL. Everything they they're really used to it, and there's a lot of frameworks that help you to actually validate that input. But when we are talking about serverless applications. Um, I'm not sure everybody knows which fields they should be inspecting. Um, so think about when you get an S3 bucket uh, event. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure you know all the fields that actually arrive from that event to the function. Obviously, uh, it includes the file name, the change, but other fields as well. So which fields do I have to inspect? Obviously, the ones I rely to, but do other fields, uh, can an attacker even manipulate them? How is that going to affect my application? I, I don't necessarily know. So... Uh, the the problem is the same problem it's uh input validation it has been input validation since uh, we wrote COBOL applications uh, for mainframe and on mobile on web apps and now serverless but the way uh or what you inspect how do you inspect what are the environments that the value then goes to uh requires some uh attention different uh, attention than what uh we are used to yeah, and I and I don't um, I don't think this is specific to serverless. Like any any application you're building now that is um, that is getting events, um, you know, certainly from SNS or uh, SQS or any of the other uh, you know AWS services or, or other cloud provider services. Um, you know, I think I think I don't think this is uh, is is specific to it. But but certainly yes, if you if somebody can uh, dump poisonous data into one of these um, uh, into one of these hoses then um, you know your system does need to be responsible for parsing that out and I, I actually think this is somewhere or this is one of the applications where the CNCF's events um, project that they're working on sort of standardizing these events and what these payloads might look like um, could be really interesting for a vendor to come in or some sort of open source to come in and build a waft yeah. to some degree that could inspect these events, um, but it goes back to trust too, right? I mean, that's the 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 S three example with the SQL in the key. Like, what fields do you trust too, right? So, I mean, you might say, "Hey, I don't trust user input," but the name of the file might be one of those things you could overlook. So, just certainly something to uh, to definitely it's, be aware of. Uh, there are even more basic things that uh, people haven't thought about, I think, yet. Um, how do you actually trust the event? How do you know that the event actually came from the source you think? Like, I can easily yeah, spoof an S3 event, send it to the function, invoke it, and claim that I'm S3. Is there any kind of way for the function to know that the event actually came from the service that, uh, that that claims to be that service? What about schema validation? And you mentioned the CNCF's uh, uh, events. Um, 
you know, the, the schema for these events is not even standardized inside a single, like if you look at AWS or Google, right. different types of events have completely different formats uh, with different fields, some of them uh, with different formats. Um, so schema validation, which used to be, if you look at like XML security gateways, you know, web service security gateways, schema validation is like the bread and butter of how you protect APIs. Yep. But how do you do schema validation? Something that, uh, you know, whose schema you can only guess based on some examples you see on some documentation on the web. Uh, so other than the input validations is also, as you mentioned, the, 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 the issue of trust and, um, you know, well-formedness of the event itself. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah. All right. So number two, broken authentication. So again, this is something that is um, can be a problem for anything, but uh, how does this apply to serverless? Um, it's the same old broken authentication that we know uh, from any other type of applications, like you said. Uh, I think the main difference is uh, we as serverless practitioners uh, try to sort of preach uh, for... Re reduction in, uh, I guess, uh, focus. So each function should have very laser focused uh, tasks that it should be doing, at least in our uh, um, the single purpose uh, topic. Uh, mindset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. The, 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 the principle of single uh, responsibility. Uh, you want a function to do one very specific thing. You don't want people to write monolithic functions. Uh, and so we are pushing people to break their application into dozens uh, or more functions, and suddenly you have a lot of, uh, um, I guess, input vectors uh, into the attack or entry points, uh, sorry, into the application, uh, and you have to think about how you authenticate and authorize um, invokers. Um, so it's not a different problem, it's just it, it increases the scale of the problem. Uh, if you didn't do uh, authentication well, in a standard web app uh, and now you're breaking the web app into dozens of functions and each one can be invoked by god knows who then uh the authentication issue becomes uh i guess more complex right uh it's not different it's not worse it's just there's more of it, right? Uh, and that's, and that's typically, right, you're putting you're putting some sort of authentication logic, you know, in middleware or something that that every part of your application has to has to pass through. But now you have the ability where you write a function that has no authentication at all, um, and your authentication to that function is from a higher service like API Gateway um, that is controlling that, that controlling that access, which um, which again is just different and just something to be uh, to be aware of. Um, all right, so then what about insecure, this is number three, insecure serverless deployment configurations? Yeah, if you drop the serverless and maybe turn it to cloud and cloud native, uh, I think uh, it becomes more obvious. Um, so configuration and this, uh, and you know, we hear about that a lot and we see a lot of examples almost every day of people um, not doing their cloud configuration properly. Um, and uh, it, it's the same problem. Uh, in this case, serverless is just because it's sort of uh, in the cloud, in public cloud. Uh, your applications use buckets, use databases. I think I just read a while ago that uh, Adobe left some uh, some uh, cloud database uh, open, and people, you know, exfiltrated the data. Yeah. And so, uh, 
yeah, I think without configuration, this is not different than, you know, okay, you could have misconfigured your Apache server uh, and leave, you know, directory You probably uh, did misconfigure You probably did misconfigure exactly. your Apache server or your or exactly. Nginx, and, yeah. And your PHP ini file uh, included some uh, some nasty configurations, and yeah, that's not something new. But uh, but you have to remember that at least in serverless, with the lack of other types of runtime protections and firewalls, and uh, uh, then then the cloud configuration or the cloud and the IAM are sort of your new perimeter. Uh, so this is your way of securing your account and your application. Uh, and so that is probably one of the most important things that you have to uh, make sure that uh, that you cover. And there's a good reason why I think uh, cloud security posture management uh, vendors um, are very successful. Uh, so that's something that uh, everybody understands that there's a, a need uh, to have. So you need to be um, aware of all your cloud assets, uh, where they are deployed, how they are deployed, whether they have configuration issues and improper permissions. That's that's going to be the new command and control for uh, CISOs, those cloud security posture uh, management tools. Yeah, and I and I think this is one of those one of the points in here that goes well beyond just this idea of serverless being only functions, right? And I mean, the, exactly. it, it is. It doesn't matter what application you're building that's using these. It's just that when you're building a serverless application and you're using Lambda as the glue, we're using API Gateway to do some of these service integrations, things like that, that the configuration of these managed services is very important. I mean, we've seen people leave uh, Elasticsearch wide open, right? <laughs> just be able to query Elasticsearch, mm-hmm. um, just knowing the domain and obviously the S3 bucket stuff and the, uh, you know, even the Capital One breach with, you know, some of those things, those, those configurations. Um, you know, certainly there are there are many issues um, that can happen when you don't configure these things correctly. Um, broader topic, well beyond just the serverless aspect of stuff. Um, but bringing it back right. to the serverless, sorry, go ahead. No, I wanted to say, and I think you're, you're just taking about to take it back to to serverless and, and to functions, functions also have configurations that are very important uh, and have um, security uh, consequences uh, to them. Uh, e- even the the timeout uh, settings, you know, people think about the serverless uh, uh, applications because they're based on functions which auto scale and support a lot of concurrent executions. Uh, people tend to think that these uh, applications are automatically resilient to denial of service attacks, but uh, and we've proven that uh, that's not the case. You you really have to tweak and configure uh, your functions and the memory and the timeouts uh, and uh, the dead letter queues and, and whatever uh, properly if you right. want to actually enjoy these benefits. Uh, so it, it's not automatically. Uh, secure. Right. And that that actually is a, a lot of that configuration falls back on the developer, um, which are probably not used to doing those sort of things. Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. All right. So let's move on to number four. So number four is overprivileged function permissions and roles. This is one of my favorites because I feel like this is, um, uh, this is something that people do wrong all the time um, because it's just easier to put a star permission. Yeah. And that's part one of my chat with Ori Sagel. Join us next week as we finish discussing the CSA Top 12 and talk about the future of serverless security. I want to give a huge thank you to Ori for being my guest this week. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 23. 
For more serverless chats, be sure you subscribe and rate the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you're interested in serverless and want to discover all the great new articles, use cases, and latest innovations from the serverless community, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.